Today we're going to uh, pick back up our study through the gospel account of Matthew. Two weeks ago we finished chapter 20, and so today we will be jumping into chapter 21 of the book of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can start making your way to Matthew chapter 21. If if you've got a digital Bible with you this morning, I guess you can start typing or swiping your way there as well. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, physical or digital, we do have Bibles underneath our chairs. And so if you'd like to uh, reach down underneath uh, your chair, uh, there should be, if not under yours, one next to you. So uh, we do think it's important. Uh, to be able to follow along uh, in the Word as we teach and as we go through it. So I want to encourage you guys to follow along and read with me. Okay? Um, this morning we were going to be covering a familiar passage. For those of you who have been with us uh, for the last four or five months, you might be thinking, we already did this. Uh, because today's portion of Scripture covers Jesus' triumphal entry. And if you were with us uh, uh, back on Palm Sunday, uh, this last April, uh, we covered uh, the triumphal entry. We, knowing that we were going to make it uh, into Matthew's gospel, at that time we went through Luke's gospel. So we're going to get a different perspective uh, this morning, but it may sound familiar to you if you were with us a few months back. Okay? Today we're going to cover the first 11 verses in a message that I've entitled, Who is this? based upon the crowd's response to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem found in verse 10. Okay? We also want to partake of communion today and, and at the close of the message, so we're going to jump right in. Let's get going, all right? Will you stand as we read this morning's portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew writes in chapter 21, he says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem, they being Jesus and the disciples, and they came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Verse 7, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... Uh, your word comes with a promise, Lord, that it's going to fulfill and complete that which it is set out to do. Like the rain that falls and and waters the earth, Lord, it cannot be stopped. Lord, we know that your word uh, cannot be stopped either. And so, Lord, we want to faithfully present it and understand it, interpret it, it, and apply it to our lives this morning. Father, lead and guide our time together. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would open up our hearts 
to receive what you have for us. Lord, that each and every one of us would come today with an anticipation and an expectation that you are going to speak through your word. Lord, we look forward to hearing from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. If you recall, uh, we last left off with Jesus healing two blind men on the road out of what we called Old Jericho. Remember that there was two different locations for Jericho, an Old Jericho site and a New Jericho uh, city. And although not listed in Matthew's Gospel, we do know that Jesus spent at least one evening in the new city of Jericho. Luke tells us that while Jesus and the disciples were in Jericho, that they came across a a wee little man uh, named Zacchaeus. He was up in a sycamore tree. Many of you probably heard that or taught that in our Sunday school classes before. And salvation came to Zacchaeus' house that day in in Jericho. Uh, Luke chapter 19 verse 5 tells us of that event. And, uh, and so we know that Jesus stayed at least one day in Jericho before heading, continuing upon his path to Jerusalem. Okay, after his brief stay in Jericho, Jesus and the disciples, they continued on their journey towards Jerusalem. Verse 1 of our text tells us that they drew near to Jerusalem and they came across the village of Bethphage. Okay, not much is known about the village of Bethphage, okay? other than it was situated upon the Mount of Olives, and it was in close proximity to another village uh, named Bethany. Okay? It was also situated on the side of the Mount of Olives. Uh, the other synoptic gospel re- uh, records uh, from Mark and Luke, they actually include Bethany alongside Bethphage in their description of Jesus' journey into Jerusalem. Instead of just saying, as in verse 1, where it says, they drew near and came to Bethphage, it says they came to Bethphage and Bethany. Uh, and so the idea is that these are somewhat neighboring villages on the side of the Mount of Olives. Okay, we do know that Bethany uh, was a place that Jesus uh, frequented during his journeys to Jerusalem. Bethany was actually the home of his good friends, Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus. Okay, if you guys recall, Lazarus was the one whom he raised from the dead. And so uh, from the, uh, that area, it was an area that Jesus is frequented, but we don't know much about Bethphage. Okay? From the village of Bethphage, Jesus sent out two unnamed disciples upon a very specific mission. Jesus was sending these two disciples to go pick up a, a donkey and her colt. Okay? A, a colt, it actually can refer to a, a young, untrained horse or donkey. Obviously, in our account, it's referring to a young, untrained donkey. And, and look at the details that he gives to the disciples. He tells the disciples how they will immediately find this donkey with her colt, that they will be tied up that they were to loose them and bring them to Jesus. And if anybody should say anything, okay, uh, just to tell them that the Lord has needed them and that the owner will immediately send them. Okay? Now, whether or not Jesus had previously made arrangements with someone, someone is not clear. It would seem, uh, based upon the great details that are involved, that he may have done so or that he, at the very least, 
knew that the owner was a servant of the Lord, that he would not object to the Lord using his donkey and colt. And whether or not Jesus had made prearranged plans or simply had the foreknowledge of the owner's willingness to allow this to happen, it doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus had worked out all the behind-the-scene details of his entry into Jerusalem. Unbeknownst to the disciples and many others, Jesus had already worked out all the details. He knew things would be ready and in place, and he had it all under control. You know, Jesus is the same today as well. He's at work behind the scenes of your life, and he has in control uh, your life's situations. He has orchestrated plans and purposes for you and, and for me to walk in them. God, uh, God has, has made for us good plans designed for His glory and for our benefit. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, it's a really popular verse that we like to quote. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that uh, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's plans for us are, are for our good, and they've been prepared beforehand by the Lord that we might walk in them. Let me ask you this today. What is God's plan for you? What, what good works does He have prepared for you right now? And are you walking in them? Are you allowing the Lord to lead and to guide you in His plan? Can I tell you that He has worked out all the details? Okay? And He has provided all that is needed? Are you submitted to His plan? Are you submitted to Him and His plan for you? I, I hope that we can confidently answer that question today. That we know what God's plan is for us, and that we can confidently say that we are being obedient to walk in it one step at a time. God has worked out all the plans and all the details, and He's got these things planned for us that we might walk in them. And I want to encourage you to know God's plan for your life, to seek the Lord, and to be obedient, to walk in His plan, to walk in the, in the good works that He's laid before you, that we might honor Him. Well, Jesus, He had everything under control. Okay? All the details, they were worked out. Everything was in place so that His disciples could successfully bring to Him a donkey and its colt. What was so important about this donkey and its colt? Verse 5, or excuse me, verse 4 and 5, they tell us. Let's read verse 4 and 5 again. It says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. All this was done so that it might fulfill prophecy. Specifically, a prophecy spoken by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah.
He, oh, there it goes. It's going to come in and out. I hope it's not too distracting. Try and follow along. Um, Zechariah, he was a prophet during the days of Ezra. He was a leader in the restoration of the, uh, the nation of Israel following the captivity. And he prophesied during the years of King Darius of Persia over 500 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. Zechariah, in speaking to the Jews about how God would protect them and reestablish them in the land, he spoke this prophecy, which is recorded for us in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus here, he is doing something way different than what he has done for the last 30-some years of his life. A major change is taking place here as Jesus plans to enter into Jerusalem. For years, the line has been, my hour has not yet come, or my time has not yet come. At the wedding in Cana, Mary, Jesus' mother, wanted Jesus to do something about uh, the wine that had run out. You guys know what Jesus said to her. He said, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. After Jesus fed the 5,000, John's gospel tells us that Jesus... Now? All right. Woo! I'm so sorry about that. Please forgive me. When confronting some of the religious leaders and exclaiming that they did not know the Father, but that He did know the Father and He was sent by the Father, they sought to take Him, but no one was able to lay a hand upon Him because it tells us His hour had not yet come. For years... His hour had not yet come. His time had not yet come. But all that is changing now. His hour has come. His time was now. And all the waiting has passed. And now it is time. The time has come for Jesus to rightly identify Himself as the long-awaited King that was prophesied by Zechariah some 500 years prior to this. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of David that will establish a kingdom that never ends. 
Everything he does as he enters into Jerusalem and all that takes place was done so that Jesus would be properly identified as the Christ, the King of the Jews. Recall as well the writer of this gospel, Matthew. Okay? He was a, a Jewish man writing to his Jewish community, trying to identify Jesus Christ to his people. In his gospel record, time and time again, he quotes from the Old Testament, showing how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. The overarching theme of the book of Matthew is to present Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. And so the triumphal entry, it, it marks a culmination of sorts in Matthew's presentation of Jesus as the Christ as the king of the Jews. And as we continue through this portion, we're going to note the things that speak of Jesus as king. Let's look at verse 6, though, before we do that. Verse 6, it says, And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. You know, verse 6 is a a small verse that we could easily just look over and read over and head on to verse 7 and pay little attention to it. But I think if we did that, we would miss out on something, something that I think is worth pointing out. The disciples were told by Jesus to go and do something. Something that was a bit odd, but at the same time, very simple. Jesus told them to to go get a donkey, and it's full, that would be tied up, and all they had to do was find them, which Jesus said would happen immediately, and then loose them and bring them back to him. If anyone said anything, uh, all they had to say was, the Lord has need of him. And again, it tells us, as Jesus said, immediately they'll let him go. They'll let the animals go with you. Okay. Jesus didn't ask these guys to do something extremely difficult. They didn't have to go wrangle these beasts like some cowboy rodeo uh, uh, feet. Okay? They, they were already tied up waiting for them. They didn't have to go all throughout the village searching high and low for these animals. He promised that they would immediately find them. They didn't have to try and figure out a way to explain themselves. If in the case of someone confronting them, hey, why are you taking, those aren't your donkeys. You know, they didn't have to figure out something. Jesus said, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. And it tells us that immediately the owner will, will send them on the way. You know, sometimes I think, we, we have it in our mind that God only asks us to do things that are really difficult to do. That God can only use people for willing to do extremely difficult tasks for Him. Monumental tasks that take great steps of faith in order to be accomplished. And you know what? That's, that's simply not true. These guys were asked to do something for the Lord that was, that was pretty simple. Go get a donkey and it's full, that are tied up waiting for you just inside the next village and, and walk them back to me. You know, I, I believe God wants to use each and every one of us to accomplish His work. Sometimes His work will require us to take great steps of faith. But I think more often than not, God's work can be accomplished in, in simple obedience through a willingness to walk in the good works that He's prepared for us. God has gone before you. 
He prepared, he's gone before these guys. He prepared the way, and all they had to do was be willing to walk over to the next village, find a couple animals, and walk them back. You know, I believe God is doing a neat work here in Iwakuni. And I, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see what God has in store for the future uh, of this community. I believe he has a great many good works that he wants to do here. And I believe that he's looking for people that are willing to walk in the works that he's prepared. He may ask you to take great steps of faith, but I think more often than not, he's just asking you to be obedient with some simple, uh, a simple willingness to say, Lord, I can, I can do that. That's not too hard. I, I can help out or come alongside what you're doing in this place or the, the other. I think God's blessed in our small acts of obedience to say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing. I can do that. That's pretty simple. Don't get in your mind that, you know, in order to serve God, I have to do these great, incredible, uh, mighty, uh, you know, Red Sea parting uh, miracles. It's just not true. God does do those things. I believe he still does those things. I believe he wants to do those things in our lives too. But I think oftentimes... Those are the the once in a while, every now and then type of things, but just our daily walk with the Lord, a willingness to be obedient, to walk in the works that he's prepared for us. These disciples, they were obedient, and they did as Jesus commanded them, and I hope that as you pray and the Lord speaks to you, that you too would be obedient to listen to the Lord, whatever that may be. Whether that's, you know, I know we have some visiting families. Great. We'd love to have you here. love to have you plug in with you. But if this isn't where God's called you, we'd rather you be where God has called you. Be obedient to where God's called you. Be obedient to serve. Be obedient to plug in. Be obedient to walk in the works that God has prepared for you. Well, let's continue. Verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In verses 7 through 9, Jesus is doing more to identify himself as king. The things that took place as he came down that mountain were all pictures to help identify him as the king of the Jews, their long-awaited Messiah. We already highlighted how Jesus riding on a donkey was a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy of the coming king. And so what else identified him as a king as he came down the mountain? Well, the fact that people were removing their clothing, their outer garments, and laying them before them was a picture of a king. It should have made people think of a king. Back in 2 Kings chapter 9, Elisha the prophet sent a messenger messenger to Jehu, informing him that the Lord had chosen him to be king over Israel. That the Lord was going to use him to avenge the blood of his servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord that was shed at the hand of a, a very wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. The messenger came, he anointed Jehu with oil, and immediately he fled from his presence. And as Jehu walked out from the house that he was in, the men that were with him, they inquired as to what went on. What did this messenger have to say? And hesitantly, Jehu explained 
what the messenger had said to them. And then at that time we're told in, in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, that each man hastened to take his garment and put it under Jehu on the top of the steps which Jehu was upon, and they blew trumpets proclaiming, Jehu is king. And so this removal of the outer garments and laying them down for this person as he made his way down, it should have reminded them of this event in their history when Jehu was announced and proclaimed to be king. Another picture that they should have realized were the very words that they were saying. David. Okay, David was the beloved king of Israel. Okay? His sons were kings. And so when they were saying Hosanna to the son of David, that was a way to identify Jesus as royalty, as a king. In fact, the phrase son of David, it was meant to be a messianic title. And so as Jesus allowed them to sing praises, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna means save now. Okay? It, it's a quote from Psalm 118, a, a psalm that is filled with uh, messianic uh, descriptions. And so they're identifying him as the Messiah, as their king, in the very words that they speak. Jesus was not only identifying himself as a king, but he was identifying himself as the Messiah. You know, even the entire picture as a whole, if you step back and just look at what is happening, it should have reminded the people of another king. Back in the opening chapter of 1 Kings, when David was slowly fading and bedridden, his son Adonijah made a power play upon the throne. To deprive Adonijah the throne, David had Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada assist him in establishing Solomon as the rightful heir to the throne. David told these men to take Solomon down to a spring east of Jerusalem in the Kidron Valley called Gihon. And they were to anoint him as king there. And they were to place him on David's donkey and to blow the horns, declaring him as king. And so back in 1 Kings, we read of Solomon, the son of David, riding upon a donkey from the east of Jerusalem, coming into the city, being proclaimed as their king. You see, the, the very son of David that sat upon David's throne, the physical son, the, the next in line, Solomon. He pictures for us this very scene that we read about here in Matthew today. The description of Solomon's coronation as king was a shadow of something that was going to take place over 900 years later. As Jesus the son of David, the Messiah, came in from the east of Jerusalem, entering into the city upon a donkey. Everywhere you look, you see pictures of Jesus proclaiming himself to be king, proclaiming himself to be Messiah. And there's people out there that today and say, Jesus never proclaimed to be this. That's just hogwash. Okay? He was very bold. This proclamation of his entry into Jerusalem said, I'm the king, I'm the Messiah, I'm the son of David. Everything about it screamed that. From the riding on a donkey, to the spreading of their garments, to the shouts of praises as he entered in Jerusalem, all pointed to one thing. 
Jesus is the long-awaited king of the Jews. There was no mistaking what his proclamation was. Or was there? Let's read on. Verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And verse 11, And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, from Nazareth of Galilee. As Jesus finally made his way into Jerusalem, we are told that the city was moved. Okay, the, the Greek word used here is the word sail. Okay, it's, which means to shake or agitate. Okay, it's where we get the word, English word seismic. Okay, sail, seismic. Okay, that we use in describing earthquakes. By the way, last night there was an earthquake. Anybody feel it? Okay, I was like, I went online, was like, earthquake, you okay? You know, no earthquakes. And I was like, I'm going crazy because I felt it. <laughs> Anyways, I'm glad someone else. Thank you, Jenny, for raising your hand. Oh, okay. Well, I, I thought I felt two, too, but I was going to say that. But <laughs> I felt them both. Okay. You know, the idea here is that the whole city had been shaken like an earthquake. Okay, it was moved. You know, what happens when you feel an earthquake? I guess it kind of depends on where you're from a little bit, okay? Those from California probably don't do a whole lot, okay? Uh, those of you who are from other parts of the States, they probably start freaking out a little bit more. Um, really, though, typically when, when you feel an earthquake, you stop everything that you're doing and you start assessing the situation, okay? If it's a small one, you usually stop and think, are we having an earthquake? Right? You guys do that, right? Uh, that's how I do it, at least. Are we have an earthquake right now? You know, if the, the bigger ones, you start to think, should I get under the table? Or should I, is this just, you know, you kind of weigh it, you're measuring it out, you're assessing it. And, and the really big ones, the ones that, you know, wake you up in the middle of the night, you make you run up and down the halls screaming for the kids. Look at the kids running to safety. And, and usually you go to the kids' room and, and you're yelling and screaming is what's woken them up, not the earthquake at all. You know, uh, but we're assessing situations, right? We're, we maybe freak out or over-respond at times when it's a big one. Uh, but seriously, you know, the, the description of what is, it was like when Jesus entered Jerusalem was that the city was moved. Okay? You know, I imagine people, like when an earthquake happens, they all stopped what they were doing. And they started looking around, trying to uh, assess the situation. And when people noticed that everything revolved around this guy coming into the city, some started asking, who is this? Everything Jesus did that day as he entered the city cried out, This is a king. This is your king. This is your Messiah. And yet, some people just didn't get it. Some were still left wondering, Who is this? The multitudes, they answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Oh, how the ears of the Lord must have cringed when he heard these words. Were the multitudes correct in their identification of Jesus Christ? Yes, his name was Jesus. Yes, he grew up in Nazareth. Okay? And he ministered in Galilee. Okay? Yes, he was a prophet. None of the information they gave was incorrect. It was just sorely incomplete. 
Jesus was so much more than a prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. It'd be like me saying, uh, uh, Michael Jordan was a baseball player that played for Chicago. You know, that would be a true statement. Hey, Michael Jordan played for the minor league Chicago White Sox team. I think the Baron something or other. Uh, but he played for the minor leagues in Chicago. Okay. But he also played another sport, basketball, okay, in Chicago. Uh, arguably one of the best players to ever play the game of basketball. And to say that he was a baseball player in Chicago, it really doesn't even begin to tell the whole story of who Michael Jordan was. Or perhaps it'd be like saying Ronald Reagan was an actor that lived in Hollywood. This too would be an accurate statement. Okay? But Ronald Reagan also went on to govern not just Hollywood, the whole state of California, and then later led the entire United States of America as pre- president, led the, you know, uh, world, was a world power leader. Okay? His presidency still looked upon favorably by many Americans today, and to say that he was an actor, that would be accurate. But again, it fails to tell anywhere close to the whole story. Jesus was so much more than a prophet. Jesus was the promised king of the Jews. He was the son of David. And even more so, he is the king of kings. And he is the son of God. To say that he was just a prophet was not acceptable. When Jesus spoke with the woman at the well, she had perceived that Jesus was a prophet, but Jesus had said to her that if he, she really knew who it was that she was speaking to, then she would have asked for living water. Later on, the woman brought up that she knew that the Messiah was coming, and Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Jesus was not satisfied with her perception of him as a prophet. He wanted her to know him as more. On another occasion, Jesus healed a man that was blind since birth. And the man was questioned later by the religious authorities. And he identified Jesus as a prophet. But later on, Jesus approached the man, identified himself as the Son of God, and asked the man to believe in him. Jesus wanted to let this blind man know that he was more than just a prophet. That he was the Son of God. Jesus even asked his disciples what others said about him, and they told him that some say John the Baptist, who fulfilled the ministry of a prophet, some Elijah, another prophet, and others Jeremiah, prophet again, and then they even said, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And you guys remember, right? What did Peter say? He said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. You know, it's not that the title prophet was bad. You know, being a prophet of God was a very honorable thing, but Jesus is so much more than a prophet. You know, the question, who is this, in regards to Jesus, is is the most important question one can ponder. Who is Jesus? A good moral teacher, some would say that. A prophet, some say a lunatic. Uh, Some even say he's just a made-up person people use as a crutch for life. Or is he king of kings and lord of lords, the lord and savior of your life? If your answer is not he's lord and savior of my life, you're in a very dangerous place. To be wrong about this question 
has eternal consequences, and I hope that you would reconsider your evaluation of who is this when it comes to Jesus. If your answer is, he's my king, then I want to lovingly encourage you all to let him rule and reign in your life. To let him sit upon the throne of your heart and trust in his grace and in his mercy, his love and forgiveness, his leading and guiding and provision for your life. As Matthew 21 marks Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, we know that the, the great multitudes that were there in this city were there uh, because of a festival that was approaching. It was, uh, they were there to celebrate the Passover. And, and just a few days after Jesus is entering into the city, he would celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And it was at this Passover meal that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, or what we commonly refer to as communion or holy communion. Today we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper as a body of believers. Okay? And, and so I'd like uh, to invite Nick uh, and the worship team to make their way back up here to, um, to prayer, prepare to lead us in a time of worship. Uh, also, uh, at this time, the ushers, uh, if you'd like to come and begin to pass out the communion elements. And uh, just some instruction here. Okay? Uh, communion is something for believers. Okay? And so... Uh, not in a, in a mean-spirited way, but if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, taking communion doesn't mean anything to you. Okay? You need to be saved. Taking communion is identifying with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So if you don't identify with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, you can just pass when the, the bread and the cup are being passed around, and that's okay. Uh, I, obviously, I, I wish you would surrender your heart and your life to the Lord. Okay? that you might be able to partake of uh, communion and understand the, uh, the blessing and the symbolism uh, of, of the communion elements. But uh, the ushers, they're going to distribute the elements. Um, and I'd like uh, to ask you guys just to hold on to them, uh, to simply worship the Lord as Nick and the team lead us. And as you worship the Lord, I want to encourage you to take time to reflect upon who Jesus is in your life. Have you let him be the king of your life? Or have you allowed yourself to sneak back on the throne? Maybe you've kind of scooted him off, trying to do things your own way. I want to ask that you would ponder the question of, are you surrendered to him and his leading? And as I trust, I trust as you worship the Lord and as you search your heart, that the Lord will minister to your heart. After all the elements have been distributed, Okay, I'll come back up and lead us in partaking of the elements together. But at this time, let's just uh, worship the Lord and, and search our heart. Who is Jesus? What is he doing in our life? And just be mindful of what he's done for us.